G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. This year, back to May, the dedication of the Holy Bible in Creole language marked the completion of one of the most important world translation projects. It's the first time any Australian Indigenous language has a complete Bible of its own. Creole, now that's spelled K-R-I-O-L, is a Creole language. Uh, We might talk about this, but Creole as in C-R-E-O-L-E, a Creole language, developed from contact between Europeans and Indigenous Australians and is spoken by about 30,000 people across the top end. The Bible translation took an arduous 27 years to be completed. And our absolute privilege today to have in the studio Barry Bornman, who had a long involvement in the Creole translation, before standing as CEO with Wycliffe Bible Translators Australia for the past 12 years. So let me say a special welcome along to 2020 to you, Barry Bornman. Welcome. Thank you, Neil. It's good to be here. Well, Barry, this must be an incredible relief within the organization of Wycliffe. And I know there's lots of other organizations that contribute to Bible translation, but take us back to May and the official, we've done it. I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, we've just celebrated uh, first man on the moon. And, yeah. and you know, some people will say, well, this is far from that. But when it comes to Bible translation, a 27-year project, this is a little bit like that, isn't it? It is a bit like that. But the actual we done it moment, um, I don't want to correct you first thing on the air, Neil. But <laughs> yeah, you feel free. <laughs> the we done it moment was 2007. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and this year in May, it was May 2007, and this year in May it was a revised full Bible. So the full Bible was completed in 2007, the first ever. It was an amazing occasion. There was a letter from the Queen. To celebrate there, we had ABC News was there at, uh, at Catherine, and now it's been revised because language changes over time, and uh, it's been really well received. So this is the first time we've had a fully revised, also complete Bible in Aboriginal language. So that's the backstory. And this was the very first full Bible. As I understand it, there's something like 16 other projects that are underway, mm. and they're at various stages of completion. Yes. Um, uh, indigenous language translation keeps uh, is alive and well in Australia. Um, there's an amazing group of Indigenous translators who have been trained and are committing their time and effort and it's our privilege in Wycliffe and other organisations like Bible Society and even Scripture Union Engagement to come alongside and give them a hand. Um, and it is a long journey. Uh, the languages are difficult. The concepts are sometimes difficult. Um, but it's a great journey to be on. Some people say, why on earth are you translating the Bible into all of these languages? And in some of these people groups, it's relatively small numbers. Uh, Let's come back to your own experience uh, of an encounter with God in that sense of 
discovering a Bible in your younger years that you were able to pick up and read and understand. Uh, Take us back to your inspiration for getting into Bible translation, Barry. Yeah, it is very personal, um, that that event. As a 17-year-old, I have to go back um, a lot of years, um, 1970, as a 17-year-old, I'd, I'd not been in a church at all. Uh, my, my, I'm from a country Victorian background, dairy farming, sport was big, yep. but not church. And um, I went to a... Um, a Christian camp, which I didn't know it was really a Christian camp, and uh, I asked God a very vague sort of prayer at night, if you're real, then I'm interested, and then my life changed from that moment on. Mm. But one of the big changes was that my friends there gave me a little grey New Testament, which was called Good News for Modern Man, Mm. and um, I started reading that, went back to year 12. And started reading about Jesus, and I just found him so fascinating. I just loved what he said and what he did, and not really knowing any terminology or, or anything like this, I became a Jesus follower. I didn't have those words to describe it, but I was just wanted to follow this Jesus of this book, uh, and that was the beginning of my journey. So, having it in my own language, in everyday language, uh, totally unchurched um, kid, you know, uh, that book spoke directly into my life, and that was life-changing. Isn't it interesting because in English language, we've had the Bible now for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years, and when you say the book that really touched you was Good News for Modern Man, and had you picked up a King James Bible, a revised Standard Version Bible, some of those older English language, that might not have captured your attention as a young man, but... Good news for modern man certainly did. Yeah, so I I, I can't do a, a scientific uh, assessment of that because I was never given a King James version. <laughs> okay. So I started with the good news, and that's how I understood the Bible to be from the start, right? So, but yes, I think if I had a, a King James, I, I could have really struggled um, because uh, it's hard to get the imme- the meaning immediately. Like I read the Good News Bible like a full story not just verse by verse. I got into the character of Jesus. And the good news for modern man allowed me to do that. So let's set your experience alongside what happens in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities in Australia. When they have a Bible that is in their heart language, there's more likely this possibility of picking up the Bible and reading in their own cultural context, their own cultural language, uh, these timeless words of the scriptures. Mm. And this you do not have without the process of Bible translation. Yes. I think the words of uh, the Anglican minister, Aboriginal minister, um, um, Reverend Gumbali Watamato, he said he used to preach from the English Bible and he was a big supporter of the Creole translation. So he was trained in English, right? Um, And uh, he'd take the English Bible and then preach in, in Creole to his congregation. And he said, when I, we got the Creole Bible, he said, they understand it straight away. He said, um, almost, almost removes my need to preach, right? And um, it was that very fact that they could hear it and immediately understand what it means. He also said that sometimes I think some of our people might um, prefer not to understand it so quick, so easily. Because if you understand it easily, then the, the choice you have is to immediately is to obey it, 
And <laughs> when you mention Gumbali, yeah. Gumbali of Nakur, yeah. uh, who is a champion, just mm. head and shoulders, uh, mm. stands as a great champion of uh, Indigenous Christian leadership. Mm. And uh, mm. we only lost him just recently, mm. uh, but a tremendous uh, identity mm. within Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander communities. And uh, what a fascinating story to hear uh, that when he is able to uh, read from the Creole Bible, doesn't need a lot of explanation. This is what's so important about translation. Mm. Now, let's get a bit of context here, Barry, because right from the go, uh, right to back to the first century, Jesus uh, sending out the disciples and, you know, even to say, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth. The only way the ends of the earth could really happen in a discipleship sense is if people were going to humble themselves and make really big sacrifices Mm. and actually translate the scriptures into heart languages. Mm. This is where the context is. Yes, and it's an exciting time because I'll give you rough figures, not exact figures, but I think it's around 2,600 Translations going on at this very moment in time. Wow. So we're sitting here talking about the Creole translation, and it's a wonderful story, and we can share about the people who are involved, amazing Creole translators. Uh, they're an inspiration, but that inspiration there is being multiplied in over uh, around 2,600 languages at this very point in time, and it takes you to some of the poorest communities in the world uh, where that is happening. Let's talk about the world uh, for a few minutes here and we'll come back to talking about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities because uh, when we're talking about the Creole Bible, that's where we're focused today. But uh, in a global sense, uh, there is still a lot of unreached people groups and sometimes when we talk about unreached people groups, uh, that often means that they're people who don't have any sort of translation either of a part or whole of the Bible in their own language. Mm. Uh, Take us into the context of just how big the project of Bible translation might be right around the world. Well, it's huge. Um, I'm sure some of your listeners would be... I actually got the exact number here in front of me. I said 2,600. It says 2,658. No active translation programs going on at the moment, right? But um, there's a similar number still to start. Um, So it is a a massive project and... um, when you think of each of those projects, I always think of it in terms of people. There's a people group to connect with, to encourage, to build a vision of Bible translation and then come involved. It's a, it's a massive community. You, 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 in the Creole project, we did a count a few years ago and I think we said there would have been over 100 people involved in some form or fashion. You had the the local Creole translators do an amazing job, but then had to be checked in the community and um, various different types of consultant checks and workshops and all that type of thing. So every translation has a, a community that, that is uh, supporting it locally as well as, of course, the uh, the church that supports our mission, Wycliffe missionaries. You know. In fact, so complex is this whole process that you can't expect any individual single person to be able to undertake this sort of thing on their own. That just doesn't happen like that, does it? Because ideally, along the road, you've got people who are then working with 
those indigenous people or those mm. tribal groups because ultimately the translation is going to be taken over by people who are uh, immersed in the culture, who do mm. know the culture and then able to take on that translation process on their own. Yes, yes. I think one of the biggest risks to Bible translation is a view that only a few will be doing the job. Or if you're a Wycliffe missionary, the risk would be to think that you were the prime person for facilitating that Bible translation. When it's a, it's a community effort and when our experience is it's key local people have a heart for it and your role is to be an encourager, supporter and bring what they don't have, but they give everything that they do have to bring this to completion. So it's a, it's a, Think community, don't think small when you think Bible translation. Now, with this Creole Bible, you were involved from the early years. <laughs> Give us a little context of this 27 years I was talking about. Uh, where was your involvement in all of that, Barry? Well, ours is very early. You've got to go back to 1986, 85, 86. And um, the translation project had begun at that point. Um, called Rodney Rivers out from the Kimberley had started some translation on on Genesis with Wycliffe translators, uh, so it was it was on the way and there was a few books done, and we came in as uh, literacy and scripture use specialists within the team, which was to help people to learn to read. Uh, the the new Bible that was coming out was a, a new alphabet uh, people hadn't seen it, to help people to read it. Um, and also to put that scripture onto, um, in those days, it was called cassettes. I don't know if the readers remember cassettes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, songs and the whole thing of engaging with that scripture. So that was our particular role, my wife and I, along with some checking translation for for um, how easy it flowed in Creole and things like that. And certainly honour to you and your wife, Margaret, because there's a team effort that goes on in all of these things too, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, well, Margaret did the work and I was the salesman, <laughs> really, is how it worked. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, let me just, before we take a break and before we open up our talkback lines, because there may be listeners who want to participate in this conversation and uh, we'll open our talkback lines very shortly. But before we do, one of the criticisms that comes to missionary endeavours is that somehow or other missionary endeavours come and trample all over culture. And, uh, you know, here comes the white man and into a black man territory type thing and uh, this idea of uh, cultural insensitivities. But there's an upside to all of this in that when we talk about Bible translation, we're talking about preserving language and therefore preserving culture. When people talk about that sort of thing to you, Barry, how do you respond? Because what you're doing is actually a very good work and helping to preserve cultures. Yeah, I think it's part of the... Um what you've got to carry, that sort of accusation, if you like, when you're a missionary. Uh, our personal experience has been the opposite to that. So when we arrived in Creole country, we were just welcomed because we were missionaries and the local Indigenous people said, you were the people who learnt our language. And so uh, I got the opposite welcome to what uh, the narrative is. Um, so often it was more along, along the lines that, you respected our culture. Now, it's not always like that, but um, our experience, and I've travelled a lot around the world, around the Pacific now, because in my role as a Wycliffe director, I've, there's a lot of um, translation projects uh, right across Asia as well, 
and we've always had this really warm welcome because the people who've gone to connect with those local communities are seen as people who who love and care for them, who uh, embrace their language when others are not embracing their language. So it's a different narrative to the one that you would hear, say, from the city. Um, and that has been my experience for the last 40 years. And it's one of these things that in reconciliation processes and even in some of the divisions that are happening culturally here in Australia right now uh, between people who are raising controversy over different areas, mm. and we won't get into uh, deep controversies mm. today, but except to say that as the Christian church, as believers, uh, there's a certain sense in which we've been above a lot of the cultural argument mm. and actually supportive in there. And uh, mm. I know that uh, in so many indigenous communities, uh, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, mm-hmm. uh, they'll see the Christian church as a friend uh, through very, very difficult times of crisis in the mm-hmm. history of Australia, and that friendship is going to continue into the years ahead. Uh, we'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a message, a comment, a question on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. A very special guest in the studio today, Barry Bornman, who is the CEO, is the outgoing CEO. We'll talk about that too. Uh, of Wycliffe Bible Translators Australia. He's been in that role for the past 12 years and there's been a transition that's happened there and wonderful to have Barry in the studio with us. Barry, as we talk about the hard work of Bible translation, now I don't want to minimise things because uh, we've set a platform of just how important it is. Uh, But for people who are thinking of uh, people who are Bible translators pouring over documents all day long, you know, uh, burning the midnight oil, uh, getting around all sorts of cultural uh, difficulties and things like that, there is a sense in which as the Bible translator, you're going into a community and you're welcomed into the community and you become absorbed into the community culture so that you're learning it. What does it feel like when you're doing that? Give us some insights. Yeah, I think that's one of the privileges of uh, Bible translation is that uh, it's all about making friends at the end of the day. Uh, that's where it starts, uh, building respect and re- and. Uh, understanding each other, and from there, launching into um, the actual work of Bible translation. So the role of making friends and, and understanding each other is an amazing privilege. Like, for me, you have to be yourself. You don't become someone else when you connect cross-culturally. So it's very important that you connect with them uh, as people and as friends. So for me, in 1986, um, I was the only white fella in a full Aboriginal AFL football team <laughs> Out of, okay. out of Catherine. Yep. Right. Now, I, I was a bit younger than I am now, and uh, one of the uh, my original friends said, um, you're a missionary. And I said, yeah, that's what this is what missionaries do. <laughs> yeah. So um, between playing football and, and, and basketball and, and fishing and um, uh, when people are sick and connecting, that's all part and parcel of actually being a Bible translator, and that is often missed um, – when people think about this. So your ability to connect with people is probably the primary thing. And with that, you get experiences that you would never have in your life if you remained in suburbia, for example, that 
for me, it's like the absolute privileged life. And so far from that criticism of going in and trampling over culture because you're actually becoming immersed in the culture, it's you learning their culture rather than you trying to, in some ways, uh, push your culture onto their their team, yeah. so to speak. Yes, I think, and you um, remain a learner. I mean, after all our years of connection, you... You you didn't draw the conclusion that I I know even less than I thought I knew the first day I arrived. So part of the um, the learning experience is that people become friends, they become family, but but you're always learning. You you never fully you never fully understand, right? So you're always in that position of of being learner, and I think that's fairly critical in the the whole work of. And just before we take a call or two, when we talk about learning, what is it that prepares an individual to do what you've done? And for others who might even be thinking right now, uh, what am I going to do that's going to have some eternal consequence, uh, you know, as I serve God? And some people will be thinking right now, how do I get involved in Bible translation? Is there some special academic degree that I have to go and earn beforehand? And no doubt there are some very important things that you ought to learn because you don't want to be uh, trampling over culture when you actually go into these contexts. How do you actually set sail into becoming a Bible translator? Yes, well, we do ac- have academic uh, exercise <laughs> study, of course. You know, we uh, we run a, um, a full-year program um, in translation principles, literacy, anthropology um, as a basic course. Um, and some people go on and do some uh, uh, do additional biblical languages, depending on their strength and their areas of expertise. So there is a an academic rigor around it, but I, I would say, um, but it, it's not. Um, people shouldn't discount themselves because uh, God takes you for who you are, and and as I said earlier, it's a whole team of people. That's involved. And for my wife and I, we were involved in helping people to read and engage in the scriptures. And we were both teachers by trade and love the whole training process. So we were predominantly trainers of translators, right? So rather than doers of the translation. But, so it's, it's, don't just, people will discount themselves. They should not discount themselves, but there is some academic rigor involved. You do have a role to play, even if you're not the person who has to learn the Greek or the Hebrew. Yes. Uh, because somebody's going to be learning the Greek and the Hebrew, and they're going to be learning the culture of yeah. that particular tribal group, because that sounds, that's getting complicated when you yeah. start to learn, learn those things. Yes, it does. And, uh, I've not get asked that, the sort of question you ask, I often get asked, and, and I would say to young people who are interested, and they don't have to be so young either, um, is you need to know yourself is probably the most important thing. How comfortable are you in your own skin? So you don't want to be going into mission work or Bible translation to do something to make you feel important. You're important because Jesus loves you, he knows you, and you're a child of God, and you must embrace that and in the course of being his child, do something useful. And something useful could be Bible translation, but you need to be comfortable with who you are in your faith, who you are in Christ, because if you're not, you might start to take some meaning in life from the actual doing of translation. Is that 
Cutful cross. That what that says to me is that one of the virtues of the Bible translator and indeed of the ministry that is a missionary is uh, this attribute of humility. Mm. Because if you are going to pridefully come in and uh, want to call the shots, mm. uh, you're probably missing the whole goal because you're there to serve. And mm. servanthood here is clearly a part of what it takes. Uh, if you've got that sort of attribute, that sort of virtue to your own character, you're going to be cut out for uh, serving God in that context because it takes a level of humility. Yeah. Taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join in our conversation. Uh, let's take a call from Anne in Labrador in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome along. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in your program. I like it. 2020. My question... Anne, you're breaking up a little bit there. Just speak clearly into your phone. Yes. I'm from Bible League, and I um, speak... And uh, I think you've got your radio on the background. Don't be distracted by that, Anne. Just uh, what were you saying? Um, I'm in Bible League, and I think, um, I support Bible League. Yep, Bible League is a great organisation, yeah. and, uh, and providing. How do they, how do they get the uh, different um, Bibles? Um, do they have translation, or do the translation people get the translation people uh, um, supply them? Okay, what we're talking about here is perhaps some different disciplines within how the body of Christ functions here because we've got those translators who are working with those people groups in their tribal setting and bringing about a translation into their language of the Bible. I imagine that the work of the Bible League is more about the distribution of Bibles mm. into context. Uh, you had a contribution there to make uh, to Anne's question there, Barry? Yes, it's... um. I know the Bible League very well, and they're part of, um, we have a forum of Bible agencies in Australia that includes Bible League, Bible Society, Wycliffe, Scripture Union, a whole range of organisations that are committed to Bible ministry. And um, we pick up different aspects of those of programs. So Bible League in Australia is predominantly around um, the publication and distribution um, in, in certain languages, and uh, their role around the world might vary. Um, Bible Society um, provides a, a lot of a publication, distribution, and consultant support. So we all sort of work together in different language projects. It's a it's a collaborative effort. Yeah. And thank you so much for your call. And just to before we take another call, uh, there is a certain sense in which you've got organisations like the Bible League, and they have been really wonderful in the way that they've been able to package the Bible. And it's not that they're changing the words of it, but I remember we did a wonderful promotion with the Bible League just a few years ago uh, and uh, distributing what they called a prisoner's Bible. Mm, yes. And so some of the introduction and some of the apparatus around the actual text of the Bible was aimed at prisoners. And so uh, they've been wonderful in the way that they've been able to do such uh, incredible things in making the Bible appropriate for particular groups. Mm. Uh, let's continue to take some calls. Let's hear from Joshua on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hello, Joshua. Welcome. Hello, how are you? Very well, Joshua. What are your thoughts for our conversation? Um, I just wanted to sort of um, say um, I actually take part in a Romanian church in the Gold Coast and um, I actually do the translating for the services and um, I know how uh, difficult it is. And, uh, yeah, just wanted to sort of ask, like, obviously um, the brother does do 
uh, translating for Bibles and stuff, but would he be able to give any tips in teaching as I have quite a few that seem to be interested and um, I know that being humble is a very important thing, but at the same time, like trying to teach them sometimes is a bit of a hassle. Joshua, we're about to go to news, but let's uh, hold this thought and we'll see if we can come back to this after Vision National News. Barry Bornman is our guest. Joshua, you were saying that you, in your local church, translate to a Romanian section of your population in church with a Romanian Bible so that people can understand the Bible in their language. Is that the way you were describing that? Uh, pretty much. I mean, it's uh, any time anybody goes up to speak in Romanian, we have the headphones set up, and um, when the Word of God is read, I uh, translate it from in, from the Romanian to the English so that the listeners who don't speak Romanian can understand it. And we see how God's brought a few Australians to our church, and through that, able to hear the gospel and give their lives to Christ. So it's pretty good. It is absolutely amazing. And just to bring context here for listeners who are thinking, uh, why don't people just uh, learn English and be part of an English-speaking church? Uh, I know Barry, uh, who is our special guest this hour, Barry, you're from Melbourne. In Melbourne, there's something like a hundred different language groups across the city of Melbourne, and every one of them needs some sort of translation in their own language. So let's come back to uh, your thoughts for Joshua here and the way that he's sharing about his useful work uh, with the Romanian language Bible. Yeah, well, I'm excited about what Joshua's doing because it's the recognition of language is so important to identity, and in an Australian context to have that bigger view that we respect that language and that culture and we will combine it with English and do it together rather than just dominate with English is so critical. And in Australia, the opportunities there now are huge. I, I don't know the actual numbers, but the massive numbers of overseas people who have come into a place like Melbourne or Sydney, Brisbane, and form communities where their mother tongue is still their heart language. And in our context, if you respect that and give room for that, and there's no reason why we can't in the church, in the life of our community, because you can go to find Bible on the net or go to um, a number of apps that you can find the scriptures in languages from all over the world. I think well, one app there has over 4,000 different languages that you can access scripture from. So you can invite people into your community. You can respect one another. I think it's just a great opportunity in Australia, and it's great what Joshua's doing. And, of course, the technology that allows you to do that, going online and finding those translations in all of those languages, happened because there were humble and committed people in years gone by who sacrificially served to be able to put that translation process in in place. And we're talking about uh, the foundations in the sort of work that you've been involved in, Barry. But And wonderful to have Joshua on the line, who is a beneficiary of people like yourself who've put in the hard yards so that Joshua, in his role on the Gold Coast, can use a Romanian Bible to be able to bring the message of the gospel, to bring the scriptures alive in the language of those Romanian people who are a part of his congregation. Uh, Joshua, honour to you. And I know there's not many people around doing that for Romanian people. And if there are Romanian listeners listening to our conversation today in southeast Queensland, uh, what was the name of the church you're a part of, Joshua? Um, it's called uh, Grace Church. Just look it up, Grace uh, Romanian Church. and you, It's sort of the first church that comes up on Google. 
Okay. Well, Joshua, thank you so much for participating in our conversation today. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call before we move on. Let's hear from Lester in Brisbane in Queensland. Hi, Lester. Welcome along. Yeah, good, mate. How you going? Very well, Lester. What are your thoughts for our conversation? Mate, I'm just um, thinking in relation to, you know, the Aussie Bible. Have you heard that one? Uh, I yeah, I've I've heard of it. I'm not an expert on it. And uh, Barry, you sound like you are. Well, I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've read it. It's it's um, it's translated with a lot of Australian um, terminology okay, so and slang, right? Ocarisms. Yeah. There's ocarisms yeah. in it. Okay, is yeah. that what you were talking about, yeah. Lester? Yeah, I'm just referring that to in relation to the Aboriginal language. Does uh, it correlate with the um, the Aussie Bible sort of thing? The Creole speakers I know um, wouldn't understand the Aussie Bible um, one bit because most of the um, the sayings in it are, are set in a fairly rural. Um, the, uh, sl- the Australian slang that we use yeah, yeah. is not familiar with in that Creole speaking community. So this idea of beauty, bonza, cobba, yeah. uh, these sorts of things yes. don't translate so well into Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. But And uh, when I think of that Aussie Bible, and uh, now that we're talking about it, in fact, I think I did have a copy of it at one stage, and I was even finding difficulty actually following it because of uh, some of the ocarisms in there. And, so, and I'm an Aussie through and through. Uh, what was your thought, Lester? Is this not something you pick up and, uh, and read regularly? Is it more a Novelty for you or what? Yeah, I've, I've just read it briefly. I, I, I normally ring, read the King James Version, but um, I was just wondering whether that um, goes together with the um, uh, Australian Aussie playing with the um, Aboriginal version of the Bible. <laughs> you, know the, you know what I mean? Well, Lester, you've actually brought forth a pretty interesting and powerful point here. So uh, thank you very much for your call. And this point, I'll get you to enlarge a little on this, Barry, is the fact that when you are immersing yourself into the culture uh, in an Aboriginal tribal setting and you're learning the nuances of that culture, uh, all of the idiosyncrasies of the culture, and that includes clearly the sorts of slang and uh, sayings and all of those attributes of language that somehow or other are going to be incorporated into the translation process. And uh, that must be a part of what it is to be a Bible translator. It's definitely part of what it is to be a, a Bible translator. And and that is some of the most difficult things to do, is to get the really local language, local meaning uh, that is distinctive to that community and that culture within your translation. That, that, that's when you're really going deep It was when you're able to do that. And there is an example here I think we can make a reference to because when you were translating those or a part of the translation process for the Creole language, one of the challenges that you had was that in this Aboriginal language culture there were no words for some of those words we take for granted in our Christianity, grace and mercy. And really, if you're talking about the kingdom of God and the good news of the gospel, those are essential words. But if you've come across a language that doesn't have them, you're well, faced with a challenge here. Yeah. How do you deal with that challenge? And that's one of the challenges that goes not just not just in Creole, but it's around the world. So we, we do get used to what we call in English abstract nouns. I don't give a grammar lesson, but, you know, 
we all know a noun is as an object, and so I've got a bottle of water here. I can pass that to you, Neil. Yeah. But it's very hard for me to pass grace to you. So yeah. when I give you grace, you can tell me what it looks That's like. Right. You don't uh, get a bottle of grace. It's not three-dimensional <laughs> figure. That's an abstract noun, yeah. right? And uh, in Creole, they don't exist. So you have to make them, turn them into action so they can be imagined, right? So if, if I want to take a liberty, can I use a little let's, Creole? Let's do it. Let's, uh, let's hear some Creole language. So this is like grace, God's grace and mercy to me. What's it look like when it gets passed to me? So I'll... I go something like this. Now, Creole is a pidgin English, so it draws on English in sort of Aboriginal grammar style. So, um, no matter you've been doing all a no good baller thing, but God him still got him kind one feeling blow you. Dumaji, Jesus been wasting him blood blow you and him let him you go free. Okay, well, I can pick up a, a word or two in there. And as you say, this is a, a mix between European language and tribal language. Yes. So we can pick up some of the words. I'll give you the English. Yes, give us the English, like. yes. So no matter, right, you've done no good things in your life, no matter you've done rubbish in your life, God got good feelings towards you. That's grace. Why? Dumaji, Aboriginal word, Why? purpose because Jesus wasted his blood. Jesus died for you and he wasted his blood for you. He shed his blood for you and he lets you go free. Well, that's grace and mercy. I think in English I understand it better in Creole actually than I do in English. Look, <laughs> I, I'm expecting that there's somebody listening to our conversation who's been hearing us talk about grace and mercy in the way that we do in our Christian ease uh, for so long and they've just heard you say it in those words in Creole and they've said, I understand that better now than all the words that I've been hearing all along about, uh, you know, rubbish, you know, all these rubbish things that you're doing and uh, and God has still good feelings towards us. So uh, a wonderful lesson on grace and mercy this morning. Hey, let's take another call. Uh, our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Kevin is in Parks in New South Wales. Hi, Kevin. Welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we? Oh, well, thank you, Kevin. What are your thoughts for our conversation? Now, I was at KCC in 2007. That was where the Creole Bible was um, handed over, correct? Wow. Correct, okay. yes. Uh, I just got to say, what a celebration. Um, so I'm getting a bit emotional. It was... Um, oh, thousands of people gathered. Um, the handing over of that Bible was um, emotional um, for me personally. It was just a, I was a missionary in Darwin um, for many years and um, now living in parks. But um, I just remember being there when that was handed over and uh, it, was, it was wonderful. It was just a, a, I, was, I lived on SIL, so I was mindful of the amount of work that had gone into that Bible over many years. And, um, and often was invited to, to pray in some of the prayer meetings um, on SIL. And it's an amazing work. Um, and the people received that so well. It was just a wonderful time. That's all I've got to say. I've got nothing else to say other than I was there. And it was just a wonderful moment. Wonderful to hear from you, Kevin. Thank you so much for taking the moment to pick up the phone and call because, uh, Barry, what are your thoughts for someone like Kevin and reminiscing about that time and the excitement that is so deeply able to apprehend the heart in a moment like that? Oh, well, I've got tears in my eyes now, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the reminder because um, 
because Mark, my wife and I were there too on that on that great night. It was an amazing celebration, um, yeah. and uh, the joy in which the scriptures were received uh, and the celebration was just absolutely. Um, it's a beautiful moment, and uh, yeah. and that also that also reflects how it reflects how the community feels about Bible translation. It reflects that it's their work, and uh, the Aboriginal translators did an amazing job getting the whole Bible done, and it was really their celebration, and we just had the joy of being part of it. And I think for White Australia, anyone who was at that dedication in two thousand and seven for White Australia. Yeah. Um, there are many people like you, Kevin, and and my wife and I. It just sticks in your mind as one of those great moments in your life. Yes, absolutely. I was actually there with my now wife. She was the um, editor of the newspaper in Darwin, and she went out to report on that. So she was away reporting and doing her stories while I was just soaking up the atmosphere. Um, for her, it was, <laughs> the work, it was work, but um, I guess for both of us as Christians, it was um, a very significant time. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah. Well, uh, from what I'm picking up from these conversations today, it's the wives who do all the work <laughs> and it's the husbands who do all the social networking. So, uh, <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for uh, calling in. Just great to hear from you today. Uh, let me just come back to something that's really important in our conversation. And I know that this is an inspiring conversation and there may be people listening in thinking, I'd like to be uh, involved in this sort of thing. Uh, we talked about the necessity for humility and with all of those who've been involved in translation processes all these years and not all of these people undoubtedly are all you know we're talking about white uh, white people going to uh, to indigenous settlements and of course it isn't all of that i'm sure that there are people who are studying and uh, preparing at Wycliffe who are coming from uh, tribal settings and learning how this whole process works it's not just a it's not just european and uh, influence on indigenous communities because it now becomes a mix because we're all one in australia mm. uh, your thoughts here for the for the way that bible translation looks into the future barry because it doesn't all look like european type people going into these tribal settings uh, absolutely the um the world of bible translation is as i've used the word commu- a huge community involvement I'll go back onto the Creole translation because um, in 1990 uh, we had a, a, a New Testament and a significant portion of Old Testament translated, but only equivalent to around half a Bible. And it was uh, uh, Reverend Gumbly, uh who said, we want the whole Bible. And uh, and he made this comment. He said, uh, we can do this. Uh, this is the Aboriginal people. We can, we can complete this job. We just need you to give a hand. And uh, we took up that. We took up that challenge, and uh, part of uh, the structure of, of supporting the Aboriginal translators was we developed a certificate in translating, which is an Australian accredited course, which covered all the uh, major issues of translating abstract nouns and different aspects of translation. And the, uh, the Creole translators went through that course over a period of six, six or seven years uh, uh, through workshops, working with other translators from Elko Island and other places around Arnhem Land and some people from down uh, down the centre, Alice Springs, Pijinjara people did the same course, local translators, and they took the lead in in the translation process and we provided the support. And that model is becoming more and more the way translation is, is done today. 
And when you talk about a collaboration between all sorts of mission agencies, uh, we're talking about the Bible Society, uh, of course, uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators Australia. But let's just name some of these others because uh, there might be listeners wanting to make contact uh, with one of these. And you're not all working uh, in opposition to one another. All these groups are working together, which is just such an exciting thing. So you've got Bible Society, you've got Lutheran Bible Translators, the Church Mission. Society of Australia, the Anglican Church, the Australian Society for Indigenous Languages, and of course, uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators, because a uh, special place for Wycliffe today because you're here. <laughs> yes. But uh, everyone working together. You have to be able to work together because it is so complicated. Uh, if you don't work together, you're not going to make much headway. Yeah, and it's a beautiful thing to do. In, in the Creole Project, uh, uh, Christian Missionary Society, or and the Northern Territory, the Anglican Diocese of the Northern Territory, um, were massive supporters of the translation. And without their involvement as a local church and as a diocese, it wouldn't happen. Bible Society, absolutely key partners. They publish the the uh, Creole Bible. They provide consultant support. Wycliffe Bible translators, which Mark and I are members of, we're seconded to the Australian Society of Indigenous Languages. So we're Wycliffe combined with SIL provide a lot of on-the-ground support as well. So we all work together, we strategize together, we plan together, we did the whole thing together on the field. And when you're working with the basic translation, you're creating a resource uh, then that the rest of the church can use in a significant way. And uh, let's, you know, we talked a little bit about what happens online with online languages and the ability to Google a language and a go- Googling a Bible translation. Uh, those are all able to be done. But then you've got all sorts of plans for audio recordings mm. because it's all very well to have something that people can read, but there are an awful lot of people who can't read. So how do yeah. you cater for that? And this is where audio recordings are really exciting. Yes, and I, I missed a few organisations. That's always the risk, isn't it? When you start mentioning, there's a global recordings network. Faith comes by hearing. They're all part of the part of the, the package of bringing the, the the scriptures in in all its forms, digital forms. And uh, if uh, for any listeners are really in, want to get into indigenous languages, there's a website um, called um, Australian Bibles. If I get it right. Uh, uh, yep. well, I think uh, I wrote it down yep. here. Let me just check it. It's Australian called, Bibles, good. Uh, uh, Aboriginal, sorry, AboriginalBibles.org.au, and it's got the thirty-five languages, uh, Aboriginal languages with translation on it, and it's got you can download audio PDFs, the whole works, and it's a collaborative effort between the Bible Society and and SIL to make it available to the public. And just when you thought missionary endeavour was what you did overseas, all we've got to do is look inland, uh, interstate, uh, just perhaps even for some around the corner. And uh, this is just so exciting about missionary endeavour in Australia. And I think we mentioned that there are 16 other Indigenous language where there is work in progress. The work is far from complete and it's going to take humble people who are ready to sacrifice large sections of their life in order to be able to do something that has eternal relevance here. What's your encouragement to those people listening, uh, Barry, right now who's saying, you know, I could do that. Uh, I can I can hear him saying that. I can do that. What's yeah. your encouragement? Yeah, well, I'm the son of a dairy farmer, so uh, <laughs> yes. and uh, finished up with the privilege of being in the, involved in the Creole Bible. So um, anyone can do this. Well, maybe not, but if you've got what you're for, your humble heart, you're willing to serve, 
uh, the opportunities are immense because the, the task is immense and um, it's one step at a time. So all I'd say to the, to the to listeners who, who've got a bit of a heart for Bible translation and for the poorer communities of the world, don't discount yourself. Uh, ring up and have a conversation with uh, with Wycliffe or ever who you're partnering with, your local church, your 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 um, elders in your church. Have a conversation about what's on your heart and see where it takes you. You just never know who is connected where. And with some of these organisations you've been talking about, there'll be elders in your church uh, who've got some connection there and can point you in the right direction. Mm. That is a wonderful way to finish our conversation because we've run out of time. And Barry Bornman, our guest, for these past 12 years, he's been CEO of Wycliffe Bible Translators. Uh, just a, a quick insight here. Who's taken your place at the helm now, Barry? Uh, a gentleman by the name of Max Sahl. That's spelled S-A-H-L. And uh, like my wife and I, him and his wife went to Papua New Guinea as school teachers, um, not knowing anything about Bible translation or Wycliffe, but we went to help a mission. He went to help a mission 20-odd years ago. Um for two years, and now he's um, stayed for 20, and now he's the new CEO of uh, Wycliffe Bible Translator. Great guy. I, I should get him into your studio sometime, Neil. You'll enjoy the conversation. Uh, you should connect us because, uh, yes, he's we from, would... Uh, he's a Queenslander, by the way. We would enjoy. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. He's a supporter of the Maroons uh, when it comes to state of origin football too. But wonderful to make this connection today and talking about this revised version of the Holy Bible in Creole language uh, this year a major milestone with that revised version and wonderful to get the insights all about that today let me point people to the website for Wycliffe it's wycliffe.org.au now how do you spell Wycliffe w-y-c-l-i-f-f-e so Wycliffe dot org dot au uh, to make contact with Wycliffe and uh, no doubt they'd be interested in I'm sure there's all sorts of prayer support financial support and also the idea of uh, being part of some of the courses that they're doing preparing people uh, to be able to be involved in Bible translation Barry Bornman thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020 thank you Neil before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.